Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three on post-processing. And I thought I would give you a little bit of philosophy when I show you this case. And this is a case of metastasis to the liver. They're hypovascular mets, which are easily seen in volume rendering, and as I mentioned, are not seen on the MIP imaging. If you had vascular metastases, they'd be well seen on the volume rendering, but especially well seen on MIP imaging. And I showed you a case like that last time. So it's a very important thing, again, to understand what we're doing. This also makes the point, when I do uh, oncology imaging, and I do lots of oncologic imaging, we have big clinics on pancreas and liver and kidney. I use the 3D mapping for the surgeons for planning, and I use it for the radiation therapists for planning. And so I really know the case, and I know what images to show that really accentuate. So that's why you need to be really good with your techniques, know how the volume works, know how volume rendering is, know how MIP is, know how multiplanar is, and use all of that information, but use the best parts of it for any one individual case. Like this example of volume rendering showing you very nicely the multiple pancreatic cysts in von Hippel-Lindau and the MIP imaging making it look normal. So if you're using lots of MIP, you can make some terrible, terrible mistakes. Even in retrospect, most of the cysts are not seen even knowing they're there. So it's very, very important in oncologic imaging to really understand what is expected of you, what information you need to provide, and how to use the tools. Pancreatic cancer, our accuracy in terms of selecting patients to go to surgery, selecting patients for chemotherapy and radiation therapy rather than surgery, determining when patients should go to surgery for borderline cases after chemo radiation therapy is very dependent on this 3D mapping. It's one of the critical things we do at Hopkins. Now, it's not just an oncology, so I want to make that point as well. We do lots of vascular mapping. So here's a case with dissection type B just past left subclavian, but if you did that and you didn't use volume and you use MIP, you would think that the section began in the mid-descending thoracic aorta. There's no way you could know that otherwise if you only look at the MIP imaging. MIP is going to obscure and not show you some of the thin flaps, particularly in a case like this where it's homogeneous enhancement in the true and false lumen. If there wasn't homogeneous enhancement, if it was one greater than the other, you might see the flap. But here, look what you've missed. Look how easy it is to miss that long segment involvement, no matter how hard you try. So understand the limitations of MIP. Never use MIP alone. If you're not doing a lot of volume rendering, supplement it with the coronals and sagittals. Volume rendering is critical in really using it. The other thing to recognize is the thicker your slab, the more the artifact with MIP occurs. So you look at these vessels or pseudo-vessels within this box, and the thicker slab, everything's projected. Everything looks on top of each other with MIP. It wouldn't look that way with volume rendering. So what you do is you make a thinner slab. When you make a thinner slab, it really helps you with MIP. Now, you have to be careful. I mean, obviously, with volume rendering, you don't need to, but it sometimes helps as well. But you've got to be very careful because if you make the, thin, the slab too thin, you could be cutting off lots of information or making mistakes. So in this case, here's a slab with MIP, and you're trying to figure out what the lesion in the left lobe of the liver is. You're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking, and then you look and you realize it's the left ventricle. It's the base of the heart that was just cut in to the data set. 
So you need to be very careful. This also makes a very good point why you need to be doing the rendering yourself. If you're not doing the rendering yourself and someone gives it to you, all you're seeing is what they've seen or what they thought they saw, and you're going to read what they saw and not what may be there. This case, you would create a disaster. But even this case, look at that. The patient has a stent in the LED. The LED is occluded. Or is it? It's really a pseudo-lesion. There's no occlusion. The person who rendered it cut off part of the vessel. You know, you should recognize it looks funny, but, you know, why wouldn't you call it an occlusion? It looks like an occlusion, but what a mistake. What a mistake you'd be making. Here it is again with color coding. So you need to look at things in multiple perspectives with multiple rendering techniques. And especially if there's pathology present, you better confirm that pathology is real and not that you've created pathology. So here's an example in this case where the color-coded volume rendering from a thicker global view really shows you the vessel nicely. There's no chance of occlusion, stenosis, or anything else bad. That is the way it goes. Now, in saying that... As I mentioned, we try to use volume rendering in MIP, using them in select cases, though I use them both, but how much I weight them varies. Typically, I would say I weight things 70 to 80% volume rendering and 20% or so to 30% MIP, but that's not always the case. Here's DIEP flap planning, showing you very nicely the perforators and the volume rendering and the MIP. And we can work together with this but again, I think the volume rendering is better in giving you orientation. We can look at carcinoid tumors with desmoplastic reaction and encasement of branches of the SMA, nicely shown in this example. But again, take a look at the bowel in the left upper quadrant. Very obvious, each of the loops of jejunum, a little bit of dilatation, but all nicely seen. Look what happens on MIP. All of the folds disappear. You see how they disappear? They all kind of merge. You see a little bit of the enhancement, but you don't see the fold pattern because there's not enough contrast in place. Now, a complication for all studies really is calcification. And that's true with volume rendering and it's true with MIP. Calcification can be very problematic. When calcification is too extensive, there's a tendency to overcall the presence of stenosis, the presence of disease. And so you can see when calcification is very extensive, here is MIP imaging. Boy, how are you going to look at the lumen when the calcifications are that high? And here's another example. We look at the proximal LAD. How can you say there's no stenosis or quantify what stenosis there is? In the presence of substantial calcification, it can indeed be very difficult to do. We've looked at different tricks. I showed you a few lectures ago, one of the vendors is trying to do dual energy for removing calcification. We've done some dual energy, and I'll show you in a moment, of lower extremities, but it removes a bit too much around the calcification, so really it tells you that the lesion is more extensive than it in fact is. So whether you're doing volume rendering or MIP, calcification, be it coronary or runoff studies is very difficult. Now I'll try to use vessel tracking and I can do that, but again, if it's very extensive calcifications with very narrowed lumen, I run into a problem. Now, I mentioned before dual energy. Dual energy, we use two x-ray tubes on a flash scanner, uh, dose neutral, and there are a number of programs, and one indeed is bone subtraction, and one is calcified plaque subtraction. So you can see here we show multiple stenoses in the SFA, and here we've taken away the calcification, 
and you can see the collaterals. Now the question here is, were those vessels, the SFAs, occluded and they were all calcified or there was a lot of calcification in some flow? That makes a big difference usually, but at this point we can't be certain because the uh, removal of the calcified plaque also seems to remove vessel opacification and that becomes a real big issue. But again, the concept of calcium removal is indeed a good one and dual energy may really provide a role. Here's one more set of images of that. Now, with any technique, you need to be careful because here's dual energy, very densely calcified left common iliac artery, but it's patent. And if I show you the volume renderings, you can see the calcification and uh, the SFA calcification, and you can track down the vessels. But look what happens when I give you the dual energy. The dual energy read the calcifications as more extensive than they were and removed them. And it looks like the entire external iliac and common iliac on the left are occluded proximally. Well, they're not. They're there. There's some flow to them, but the flow is diminished. And you have a stand in place. They missed all of that. Okay, so you need to be very, very careful of how you're looking at things. And here's one more example, where you, that same case rather, where look how it looks so real, that occlusion of the left common iliac, but it's not. And you can see the error when you look at the source data. Black is the dual energy removing uh, calcification, in this case bone, but it read the dense calcification in the patient's common iliac as bone, and voila, you're missing the entire information. So again, you need to be really on top of your data. You need to be very, very careful if you're going to call pathology to make sure it's really there. And here's just a good example showing you the single energy, which did much better because that shows the flow that the dual energy did not show. Now, I think dual energy is going to be very strong. I mean, Siemens has a flash scanner. We use dual energy routinely for runoff studies. Other vascular studies, particularly head and neck imaging. GE is showing a new type of dual energy scanner. Single x-ray tube, every 0.25 seconds, rotating from 80 to 140 kVp. Should be interesting. Again, their thought is doing that as a good way of separating calcium from the coronaries. And uh, it's something that's being shown now and can be important if you could do that. But again, the accuracy is going to be the really critical thing in that case. I think the whole area of post-processing is getting better. I've showed you in other lectures about the iPad and things going mobile. I've showed you how rendering techniques are getting better because the computers are faster and they don't compete with other functions for the data source and you can really do things better. New 64-bit processors and 128-bit process will mean faster rendering and a faster CT workflow when they're implemented. And I think you're seeing more application-specific software. This cardiac software, this colon software, soon there'll be renal software. So it's really getting down to the nitty-gritty in terms of software. And I think it's very exciting. Again, I'll say this for the hundredth time. It may help, it may not help. If you're doing it, great. Think of what you're doing, think what you can do more. If you're not doing it, there's never been a better time than now to get started. And with that, I wish you a terrific rest of the day. Bye.